Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Longview. This is episode 9 being recorded on November 3rd, 2015. Uh, tonight, uh, Lloyd and I are going to be talking about three different games. We're going to be talking about uh, Mafia de Cuba from Asmodee Editions. We're going to be also talking about the Takenyoko expansion called Chibis. We'll find out what that's all about. And finally, we're going to cover an older classic and a quick look called Niroshima or Niroshima Hex. Take your pick. Either way you say it, it's an interesting game. That's what's on tap for tonight in Quick Looks Episode 9. The Longview is generously sponsored by GameSurplus.com. If you like the sound of any of the games that we're going to be talking about tonight, please go and check out GameSurplus.com. They are my first choice for board gaming purchases, uh, online or otherwise. Uh, they have a fantastic selection and absolutely wonderful reputation for customer service. Their uh, packaging is fantastic. Uh, shipping speed is phenomenal. Gamesurplus.com is a fantastic resource for gamers everywhere. So if you like the sound of Mafia de Cuba or any of the other games we're covering tonight, uh, drop Velma a line over at Gamesurplus.com and she will be happy to track anything you're looking for down for you. That's Gamesurplus.com. I also want to give a shout out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge, in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. They're right on Main Street, uh, so if you're in the Stroudsburg area, just kind of hop on by. You can check out all of the other shops on Main Street, grab a great bite to eat, and then swing on into The Gamer's Edge. They have a huge selection of board games, video games, card games, CCGs, LCGs, comic books, you name it, they've got it. Plus, they have a huge amount of table space, so if you're looking to pick up a game, if you're looking to try out something new if you want to see the new magic core set and maybe uh, pick up a game with somebody if you want to play board games there's always going to be space for people that's the gamer's edge in stroudsburg pennsylvania conveniently off of interstate 80 right on main street swing on by and check them out and if you do please be sure to tell them the longview sent you my name is Jeff Gamble, I'm the host of The Long View, and today, as always, for Quick Looks episodes, I am pleased to be joined by your friend and mine, Lloyd Keller. Lloyd, I would like you to say hello today up real close on the microphone like the creepy person on the other end of the line. Can you do that for me? Yeah, I think I can do that. Hi there, everybody. I hope you're having a really nice day. Oh, boy, that was nice and suitably creepy. I was almost afraid you were going to ask me what I was wearing, at which point I was going to stop the recording and leave. So, Lloyd, you have done a great job of creeping us all out, and uh, that's kind of a, a really good intro for us, because what could possibly be creepier than the Mafia? And we're going to be talking tonight about uh, the new release from Asmodee called Mafia de Cuba. Uh, this is a game that, uh, as far as I know, there were some limited copies available at uh, Gen Con, and I unfortunately was not one of the people who was able to get one. Uh, this is a game that was uh, released in 2015 uh, by Philippe de Pallier. I'm sure I'm butchering it, I'm sorry, and uh, Loic Lamy. Uh, this is uh, published by Asmodee for 6 to 12 players. This is a big game, almost a party game, one might say. And it's listed as uh, for ages 10 and up, and it says it takes 10 to 20 minutes to play, and I would say that is entirely accurate. So Mafia de Cuba is another in a long line and list of social deduction games uh, that have recently been kind of all the rage. I mean, ever since we had Werewolf, you know, which has been around forever. Um, 
Werewolf, in many ways, kind of, I, I think, uh, you know, another game people always talk about is Mafia, which is kind of a, just another version, a reskin of Werewolf. Uh, then there's been all kinds of other games. There's been One Night Ultimate Werewolf and uh, social deduction games like The Resistance and things like that and Hidden Trader games and all of these kind of things in this genre. And so when I heard about Mafia de Cuba, I was kind of like, eh, you know, it's another hidden kind of a secret role game and social deduction. I right, whatever, been there, done that. Um, and honestly, I'll be, I'll be very frank. One of the things that really first caught my attention was the packaging of this game, which was wholly unique. Uh, this game, for those who haven't had a chance to see it yet, comes in a box that looks and feels exactly like a cigar box. So it's a cigar box and it's, you know, Mafia de Cuba. You open up the lid and there's like a little insert uh, that also kind of lifts up. It's got a little uh, hole for your thumb, but it looks like a, a box of cigars. And when you open up that lid, there are just some minimal components inside. And those components are uh, very nice. They're those kind of thick poker chips that a lot of people kind of, I think, fell in love with with games like Splendor. Um, only these poker chips have uh, various images on them for the different roles in the game. And so the, the, the presentation of the game I thought was fantastic. And that kind of got my interest peaked. Um, I actually have a couple of games of my own that are in cigar boxes. I have the game of Havana, um, which is kind of the card game version of Cuba in a cigar box. And I have Pax Perfiriana in a lovely uh, Mexican yeah. cigar box. And so when I saw this cigar box, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. You know, so um, but, you know, again, it, it was kind of, uh, you know, a game, another social deduction game. And I, I wanted to see what was different. And so basically, for those who aren't familiar with the game, there there are some things that are quite unique about this. So what we have is is we have this cigar box. The cigar box belongs to the Don. One of the players is going to be the Don, the Godfather, not Stephen Bonacore, but uh, another Godfather. Different okay? Godfather. Different Godfather. And uh, inside the box, there are going to be 15 diamonds, and there are going to be a number of tokens uh, according to the number of players. It's a nice little chart, very easy to find, very easy to see. And uh, some of the tokens, uh, poker chips, are going to be for loyal henchmen. And it's just kind of a, a white chip, and it shows a, a you know, like a mafioso-looking kind of silhouette of a guy with his hand kind of over his heart. Like, I swear, boss, I'm with you, right? Um, and then you also have a driver. Uh, there's going to be a driver who uh, is one of the characters. You have two blue chips, which represent FBI and CIA. And one, if not both of those chips, are going to be in play. And then you also have um, the sort of uh, role of the hidden kind of a role, if you want to think of it, in a hidden role game, which is called the Street Urchin. And the Street Urchin is actually what a player is going to be if there are no tokens available in the box when the box comes to them. And I say that because the, the interesting part of this game is that what you're going to do is you're going to be handed the box. The player to uh, the left of the Don is going to be handed the box. They are going to open the box and they have a choice. They can either take a token they can take any number of diamonds. They could take one diamond. They could take as many as they want that are in that box. Or if they're the first player, there's also a little black velvet bag. And they can take one of those tokens and slip it inside that bag, thereby taking one of the tokens out of the game. And then either select a token of their own or select some diamonds before they pass the box along. 
Now, the next thing that's going to happen is that box is going to be passed to the next player. That player is going to open up that box, and they're either going to take some diamonds or they're going to take a token. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about the game is that the players playing the game really need to kind of count. They need to keep track of what was in the box when they got it, because this is where the social deduction part comes in, and this is also where the lying comes in. So the box is going to make its way all around the table uh, to all of the players, and everybody is either going to take a token or take some diamonds. There will be some uh, cases quite, you know, actually regularly where the last couple of players, there might be nothing in that box for them. So they are going to be what's called a street urchin. And then the box comes back to the Don, who looks inside sadly and says, one of you has disappointed me. I need to find out who among you would steal from me, <laughs> right? Now, this is where if you really want to play the game right, you'll go on YouTube or something or some other uh, copyrighted, you know, source, of course, I wouldn't recommend otherwise, and you're going to play the Godfather soundtrack in the background, okay? For about this 10 is, minutes. This is what we did, okay? And, and, and this really adds to the atmosphere of the game, okay? You have that little... In the background as you're questioning all the people, right? Now, what the Don's going to do is he is then going to question people. And he is going to try to determine who among all of the people that he thought were loyal to him, okay? Uh, who among them is a thief and has stolen his diamonds? Now, the loyal henchmen are going to win the game along with the Don, if the Don can recover all of his jewels, okay? The FBI or CIA agent is going to win if the Don falsely accuses them of being a thief, because they will then reveal themselves and say, ha-ha, now I'm with the FBI and you're all busted, okay? Mm -hmm. The street urchin is going to win if the thieves win, okay? So if, a th if the thieves win, then the street urchin is going to win along with the thieves. So how do the thieves win? The thieves win by the Don making too many false accusations. If the Don makes too many bad accusations, then the whole organization loses confidence in him and the thieves get away with it. So what happens is the Don is going to start asking questions. And he's going to say, say to one of the players, he's going to say, what was in the box when you got it? Or better yet, what was in the box when you received it? And then the person's <laughs> going to look, you're going to say, I swear, Don, I'm one of your loyal henchmen. And uh, there were 12 diamonds in the box and five tokens. Well, the Don knows how many tokens were supposed to be in the box at the start of the game. And the Don knows how many diamonds were supposed to be in the box at the start of the game. Because one of the things that I did not mention is that while there are 15 diamonds included in the game, the first thing that the Don does is he takes out as many diamonds as he wishes and hides them. So the other players aren't aware, except for the first player, how many diamonds were actually in that box? And this is one of the key pieces of evidence that the Don can use if he or she is good at reconstructing and asking questions. Because if you claim that there were 10 in the box, okay, and the next person claims later on that there were 13 in the box, well, somebody's lying. Either the person that claimed there were 10 or the person that claimed there was 13. And now you can start to cast your suspicions. So you're going to question people. Um, you're going to try and determine who you think is, uh, is lying. There, of course, are no rules against lying for the other players. And they're going to try to kind of trip up the Don or deceive the Don. 
one of the things that's going to happen eventually is the Don is going to point to someone and say, you empty your pockets, right? Whereupon the player has to stand up and empty his pockets. If the player has diamonds, then the Don has recovered some or possibly all of his diamonds, if only one person took them, and be closer to winning the game. If, however, the person stands up and reveals an FBI token, or if the person stands up and reveals, heaven forbid, a loyal henchman token, I was loyal to you all along. I wasn't like Luca Bratz, right? Or say, I knew it was you, right? <laughs> I knew it was you, Fredo. <laughs> he gave him the kiss of death. Anyway, so um, if you wrongly accuse somebody, then the Don has uh, either zero, depending on the number of players, one or two uh, little tokens, little little bottles, okay? They look like they're cardboard tokens of little bottles of like rum, you know, something nice. A gift from the Don, for his false accusation, please forgive me. So the Don will give that token. Well, if the Don ever runs out of tokens to give, the Don has lost. Okay, Because you've accused too many people uh, falsely. And so you've lost the game. right? And the thieves, and if there's any street urchins, they win. So the Don has to be extremely careful about who it is that they accuse. You really have to try to ask a lot of questions and try to catch people in lies, try to trip them up. Uh, the first person is usually a target because that first person has the ability to bury one of those chips. And so if the numbers don't add up with the, uh, the poker chips and you say, how many did you say were in there? You know, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I honestly forgot, but everybody else sounds pretty sure. Maybe they're not telling you the truth. The last interesting twist to this game, which I think is really kind of cool, is the driver. So the driver is a role that a player can have, and the driver wins if the player to their right wins. So if the driver is sitting next to a thief, then the driver's going to win along with the thieves. Okay, The driver kind of helped the thieves get away. If the driver is next to a loyal henchman, then the driver wins that way. If the driver is next to the FBI agent. And so the driver actually doesn't know exactly who he or she wants to help until they themselves do a little bit of deducing and figure out who's who. Because as this cigar box is going around, you're not supposed to be looking at what other people are taking. You're not supposed to see what role they took. You're not supposed to see if they took diamonds or how many. Everything is secret. And so nobody knows for sure. So this breeds a lot of distrust, a lot of false memories, because you got to track how many tokens were in there, how many diamonds were in there. And then people will accuse you of lying when you haven't to throw off suspicion. It is a blast. I mean... I've played this game with my kids, I've played it with my uh, teenage daughters and their friends, and I mean, that's a tough crowd, but they loved it. I've played it with adults, I've played it with gamers, um, I've played it with uh, new kind of gamers. Everybody enjoyed the heck out of this game, and I think it's because of the speed. This is not a long social deduction game, okay? This is one that's over, literally, a round of it in 10 minutes. And if it's over in 10 minutes, then you just let somebody else be the godfather. And then you play another round. And it's just a blast to play. Minimal components, but the components that are there are so wonderfully thematic. And, of course, it lends itself to all of the terrible accents and the stereotypes <laughs> and the movie references. And, you know, you broke my heart. You broke my heart. I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, 
very immersive kind of experience, you know? Um, there's a lot of social deduction games out there, um, you know, like Werewolf and, and things like that, but I don't feel as connected to the theme, you know what I mean? Like, I've seen so many mafia movies, I've seen so many movies, um, that, that, and, and read books and things that, like, I instantly latched on to this theme, you know, and then I put the music on, and that was that was the <laughs> that end was of it. it. That was the end of it. You know, everybody sitting around that table feels like you know they're sitting in the safe house, you know, over a plate of pasta, you know, and trying to figure out who among them is not who they seem and who's going to be swimming with the fishes, right? So yeah, exactly. It's a really really fun game. Um, I, I really have enjoyed every single time that I've played it. Um, I know you've played a decent amount of, of uh, kind of social deduction games, hidden role games. Um, is there anything that you kind of liked sort of better than this, though? Is there anything that you enjoyed more than this, Lloyd? Um, well, I do want to say something really interesting about the, this uh, Mafia de Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, this is the first kind of social deduction game where you actually get your choice. Yeah. Because in Resistance, you're given your role. In Werewolf, you're given your role. In any of these hidden trader games, Dark Moon, anything like that, you're given your role. And then from that point forward, you have to kind of make your game, make your lie, or make yourself convincing enough. Or right, maybe just right. be the person that isn't having to lie. Whereas in this game, when you get that cigar box and you look in, uh, yeah. you get to kind of decide... And try and figure out what information you can get from the players who have gone before you. Right. And then decide for yourself, is it worth it to try and maybe be one of the good guys? Right. Or are there tons of good guys left in here? You know what? Maybe I'm going to take that FBI token or the CIA token. Right, right. Or maybe just decide to snatch up a bunch of diamonds. And it gives you like some really interesting choices <clears throat> because... You almost have to try and construct, before you even get that cigar box, what your scenario could be. Right, right. And yeah. you already have to start kind of role-playing, and then when you get that cigar box, oh, good, all right, I can still be a good guy. Right, oh, I can still be man. a loyal henchman, yeah, Or, yeah. man, I, I could be the driver, and this could get really crazy really fast, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it, yeah. that's such a unique and interesting take on a hidden trader, hidden role, you know, social deduction kind of game. And I've never seen that before. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because I hadn't really thought of that, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's so many of these games that I've played, social deduction kind of games, where, you know, there are some people who are just not comfortable lying. Like Zach. There's, yeah, like Zach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's some people who are just totally terrible at it. They're not comfortable doing it. And they're not very good at it. And they know that. And so, therefore, they don't like the game, right? Like, they don't... They don't want to be, um, you know, the, the, the kind of government player in the resistance, you know, right. or they don't want to be the spy or, you know, How's they the don't want to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, it makes them uncomfortable. But in this game, if you, you know, want to just kind of play it straight and there's a loyal henchman token in there, you just take that. And you're just like, hey, I don't have to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the Don everything I know, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I'm going to watch everybody else squirm. 
Or if you're the kind of person that likes to take a risk, that likes to kind of take a chance, then maybe you will take that FBI token and maybe you'll spend your whole game desperately trying to lie so badly that the Don accuses you or but like not so badly that the Don knows that you're trying intentionally right. to be picked and therefore will never pick you because you're the FBI agent, right? Um, or, you know, you just you'd say, I'm going to be a thief, you know, and it's really interesting to me socially to watch how people handle that because there are some people that play that like my son who's lurking on the stairs while we're recording this and Carter likes to take all the diamonds like he takes takes as many as he possibly can right and then he just lies about it like beautifully like he just non-stop he's just really good at it and then there are other people and you can see they're like they're kind of timid like they're they're sort of like I'm just gonna take one I'm going to take one diamond. Right. And that, like, fits them. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not trying to get away with too much. I'm not going to feel that pressure. They're going to be looking for the majority of the diamonds. Maybe I can slip through the cracks. Maybe no one will find me because they'll be like, oh, geez, you know, there's only one diamond left. If the Don is successful in finding the other diamonds and there's only one left, well, who would have taken one stinking diamond, right? So that's another kind of an interesting strategy. And I've seen people who are kind of quiet and reserved do that. Like, they'll take one or two. Yeah. You know, and then you have like the, the sort of brash kind of gutsy person that like takes, you know, a, a whole fistful of them. And everyone's like, there's no diamonds in there. <laughs> and that person knows that if like, you know, the, the third and the fourth por- uh, person report that there were like no diamonds left in that box that, you know, everybody's eyes are swinging back to the first and second and they don't care. They're going to be like, you know what? They're lying. There were eight when I passed it to him. You should definitely be looking at him, right? (laughs) And that person's like, no way. It was empty. It was was empty, empty. you know? And then the Don's really stuck, you know? I swear, boss. Exactly, you know? I wouldn't lie to you. Um, It's really neat. It's really neat. And that dynamic of personality and then that choice that you mentioned, which I hadn't thought about, I think is one of the things that makes this game really special. So... Um, Carter, since you're here, do you want to come down and talk a little bit about Mafia de Cuba and tell people a little bit about what you think of it? So, uh, what do you think, son? Is this a game that you had fun playing? Yeah, I always have fun playing it. Um, well, it was just in my honest opinion, a great game. So what makes it great in your opinion? Try, you know, I mean, what, what is it that, that you like about it? Cause you've played all these, you played Dark Moon. You've played Werewolf, you've played Resistance, you've played Spyfall. Spyfall. You've played all these kind of games. Why do you like this one so much? What What is it about it that really connects with you? Well, it's kind of the thing about the diamonds, where you can take like a certain amount of risk. Usually in all of these games, you play, you get a tile or a token, and it says, you're the bad guy. Right, you're infected. Here you right. can take like five diamonds and be like, shoot, and like, they're looking for you, absolutely. Or you can take one diamond and kind of be not that big. You can right, right. kind of shine to the background. And you can choose what you want to do. Right, which is cool. That's what, that's what um, uh, Mr. Lloyd was talking about. Let me ask you a question. Um, what do you think you seem, when I play with you, you seem to like to be the first player after the dawn. Why do you like that so much? Um... I think you're actually saying it wrong. Don't you mean the player at the end? Because I'm always the player at the end. I'm even the first player after exactly, the Exactly, right. The first player after the Don, right? Yeah. You, you, you really seem to like that. You also like being the street urchin. But, yeah, I always be the street urchin. But, but why do you like being the player after the Don? Because I know you're always trying to position yourself next to the Don. What yes. is that? 
Um, mostly because you get the bag. And of course, then I always hide one of the tokens and hide the police officer token. So I always hide the driver and take the police officer. And the whole entire time, I say, I took the driver, I'm loyal to you. <laughs> and, and, and he ends up, and one time he ended up never believing me, he accused me, and of course I won. So that's also a pretty good strategy. And um, sometimes you can just mess with him completely by taking, like, diamonds. You can also take the cop and put him in the bag. Right. So he thinks you took the cop and that you're trying to pin the blame on yourself. Right. So that can also be a really good decision. And it's just a way to really mess with my dad, so... That's good. That's good. Well, anything that you can do to mess with your dad. Well, thanks for uh, telling us your thoughts about it, Carter. I appreciate that. So uh, that's uh, the boy, the infamous boy from Twitter. Um, and, uh, yes, he, he definitely enjoys Mafia to Cuba. And I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, Carter, you sharing your ideas about the bag. Because the bag is really, really interesting. Um, there's, there's two randomization factors in the game. Number one, the Don sets the original number of diamonds, and nobody knows that except the first player, right? So while that's a powerful piece of information, it is shared with at least one person who you may or may not be able to trust, right? Then the second randomizing factor is whether or not that first player is going to bury a token in the bag or not. Um because this really keeps you from being able to, for sure, for certain, know. Well, there were three loyal henchmen tokens, and these four people are claiming that they're loyal henchmen, right? Um, if there's three loyal henchmen tokens, and yet everybody is telling you there was only two, I swear, well, then either somebody's lying or that was buried in the bag. And it's a really difficult thing to do as the Don to try to figure out who's telling the truth there, right? Because, of course, just like games like Bang, everybody's going to claim to be your loyal henchman, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, everyone's like, of course I'm loyal to you, Godfather, right? You know, on this, this day of days, I would never steal your diamonds, <laughs> right? And so it's really kind of nifty because... It, there's a lot of open information, but there's also that, that little bit of hidden information that's going to keep the game fresh. It would almost be like when you played Resistance if you didn't know the number of players on each team. If there was a little variety, right? Oh, yeah. Because by burying a token, you're not sure of what the composition of the players is, for sure. You're pretty sure, but you're not totally sure, you know? Um, it's kind of like with werewolf, you know, if you have this many players, you put in this many werewolves. Well, I know we're trying to find three. Well, what if you were trying to find four or what if suddenly you were only trying to find two, you know, what, I mean, that, that changes things. It changes things a little bit. And, and that's something that I really appreciate about the design. So I think for all of us, Mafia de Cuba, from a presentation standpoint, you know, the art, uh, the components from the, uh, gameplay standpoint, from the the standpoint of it being a, a, almost a gateway kind of a social game, almost large enough to be a party game. I mean, because you play this with a lot of people. Um, this game really fires on a lot of cylinders, and it's one that I really, really enjoy. So uh, I think this is a thumbs up from all of us, yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Carter? Is it a thumbs up? Yep, it's a thumbs up. There we go. All right, so that is our review of Mafia de Cuba. <laughs> Thank you.
So the next game that we're going to be reviewing now is another title from Asmodee, and this one is the expansion for Takinoko. This is Takinoko Chibis. Uh, this is an expansion for the base game of Takinoko. For those who are not familiar with it, uh, this is a game that was released uh, a couple years back uh, for two to four players uh, by Antoine Bauza. Uh, this kind of, I, I put in that sort of almost uh, uh, sort of Japanese oriental theme that he kind of had going there for a while. He had Takedo, I mm -hmm. believe, and Takinoko. And um, Takinoko was released in 2011. And basically the theme of the game was it's a modular board and through the course of the game you're going to be building this board. The board represents a garden, a bamboo garden that is desperately trying to be maintained beautifully by a gardener all the while a hungry panda is wandering around and eating all the bamboo that the gardener's <laughs> trying to grow. The bamboo comes in different colors. You have sort of a peach color, a yellow color, and a green color. And the bamboo actually stacks and interlocks to make these tall bamboo forests on the board. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, the little minis that come with the game are highly detailed, painted, really cute looking. Uh, the tiles are nice and thick. Uh, there's player boards. And every uh, round you're going to roll an action die that's going to give you some sort of benefit. Uh, and then you're going to take two actions. And those actions could be something like putting out new uh, landscape tiles into the garden. Um, you could uh, move the panda so that the panda can go and eat bamboo. The panda can move as far as he can go in a straight line, uh, not going over any gaps. Um, so he could zip his way all the way across the garden if he wants to. Uh, you might have the opportunity to uh, draw these bonus cards. Uh, the game basically plays where... Uh, the end of the game is going to be triggered by a player who scores a certain number of these cards. And the cards are going to be tied to one of the features of the game. So uh, there are cards that are going to give you points if you can reveal them and you have a matching set of colored landscape tiles. So you might need three greens in a row or you might need uh, a yellow in the center bordered by uh, two greens, one on top, one on bottom or, or some sort of an arrangement of tiles and if you can get that arrangement of tiles and they're all irrigated which is a whole nother little system in the game where you bring water in order to grow the bamboo um, then you can just kind of reveal that card and say hey I scored four points or whatever uh, there are also cards that are tied to bamboo growth and so these are the cards that are going to show a specific type of growth it might be you need to have a green bamboo plant at least four high one at least three high and one at least two high somewhere on the board it has to be present you know it's not like you have it in your possession it just has to be present you reveal the card you score the points uh, the other types of bonus cards uh, have something to do with the panda, the panda's belly. Every time that panda eats bamboo pieces, it goes onto your player mat. And if you get the right combination of bamboo pieces, you can turn that in. Turn in the bamboo that is uh, in the panda's belly. Get in my belly! And yeah. <laughs> then you're going to score points for that. So... There's these objective cards that you're trying to score while you're adding to the board, while you're trying to irrigate the board, um, while you're trying to um, you know, grow the, the kind of bamboo forest in the garden, moving the gardener around who's going to kind of encourage the bamboo to grow. He's going to make everything around him grow. And then there are kind of cool little special action tiles and uh, other little sort of effects that uh, are going to be in the game. There's like pandas you know free zones where the bamboo is protected and the panda can't eat there or you know there's all kinds of little different things you can put fertilizer down and uh 
you can have like an underwater kind of spring that's going to sort of feed the one tile of bamboo, whether it's connected to uh, water or not. Um, so there's all kinds of neat little effects. So this game is a game that I got years ago for uh, myself and the family. And everybody really enjoyed it. Um, but it was one of those games that's just mean. I mean, it's a very mean kind of aggressive game. And he's a cute panda, he's but a, he's a mean yeah, panda. He's a mean panda. He really is. And there's a lot of kind of take that in the game. Like, if I as a player get the feeling that you're trying to grow yellow bamboo, well, then I'm going to make it my mission in life to eat yellow bamboo. Um, and so... My kids have been gaming long enough that they were okay with that. You know, that they, they didn't mind it that much. They didn't mind the take that. In the same way they don't mind the take that and survive, you know. Um, escape from Atlantis or survive space attack. You're supposed to kill each other in that game, right? Um, it's all in good fun. Uh, and the same thing kind of goes for this game. But I had played it with some other people um, and, and it didn't quite go over as well. You know, some people are getting bent out of shape about it. Um, and, and I think it's kind of interesting because it's such a cute game and it's such a cute theme and it seems so harmless. Really like is. you're just growing bamboo, baby. You're just, <laughs> you're just making a beautiful garden and there's a panda and he eats some bamboo. No big deal. Right. But like, if I see you're trying to get a cluster of green tiles together and I take the drawn tiles action, I'm like, Oh look, I'll put this yellow one right, right here. here. How do you like that? You know? And then the person's like, no. So I love that about the game. Uh, I, I don't always love it when it happens to me, but I do love that about the game. It's it's very interactive and it's kind of mean. And I think that that's lacking in a lot of games now. Yeah, it is. And so I was really curious when um, Asmodee uh, offered to send me a copy of uh, Chibis and say, you know, hey, uh, would you like to check this out? I'm like, well, what is this going to add, right? So the first thing I saw when I kind of opened the box is this adorable little female panda. And she looks very cute. And she has a very demure kind of expression on her face, okay? <laughs> and I thought, aw, right? And a little pink kimono. Yeah, a little pink kimono, yes. And then there's like panda babies. They're like these little tiles, okay? <laughs> and I was like, oh, aren't they cute? And then there's these new tiles and new cards and stuff. I'm like, okay, this is all just going to be added to the base game. And this will be nice. This will be kind of warm and fuzzy. No, it's not. No, not at no, all. No, it's not. <laughs> so what Chibis does is it adds a different element to the game. There's now a female panda. And what happens is when you take the move panda action, you can move either the regular panda who's going to go and eat bamboo, or you can move the female panda. Now, the female panda is not going to eat bamboo. But if you move her to a location where the other panda is, then some panda magic's going to happen. <laughs> and you're going to end up with a panda baby, okay? As long uh, as you have the right yes, bamboo. Yes, you have to have the right bamboo because the panda mama must be fed to go through this ordeal of, you know, having and raising, giving birth to a little panda baby. She needs some food. So if you go to a tile with the panda mom, and she meets the panda dad, and the panda dad has some food for her, 
then she is going to give that player a panda baby. Well, every panda baby is worth two points, which in this game is not an inconsiderable, or that's the wrong word, is not an insignificant. Insignificant, yeah. Inconsiderable. I don't inconsiderable. Know what I, I don't even know what that you means. You don't like babies, do you? <laughs> I don't even think it's a word. Inconceivable. <laughs> it's inconceivable. Stop saying that. I do not think you that word means what you think it means. Um, so anyway. Zimbabwe a peanut. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. Um, so anyway, the panda mom. You're gonna get two points, which is not a small amount of points in this game. <laughs> In addition, the backside of the Panda Baby token is going to have an effect on it, right? It could give you an irrigation canal piece. It could give you the ability, which I love, to swap a bonus card that you have, a scoring card that you have in your hand with the top one from one of the decks, right? Which is awesome because sometimes you draw one of these scoring cards, you're like, I am never going to be able to make this happen. This situation is never going to occur on this board. And so that gives you an opportunity to kind of cycle through, which is awesome, right? Because you only get two actions per turn. And so if you're using half of your turn to simply draw a card so that you have something to work towards and what you drew was something that was complete garbage, then that Panda Baby token is gold, okay? Yes. So the Panda Baby tokens are really, really cool. Plus the fact they're worth two points is awesome. Um the other thing that I find really interesting is it adds these sort of sacred grove spaces, right? And it has this weird-looking little statue. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a Buddha thing or something, but we're talking Japan. I don't know. He's playing a little flute. He's playing of a little some flute. Sort. Yeah. yeah, he's playing a little flute. He's hanging out, and it's, it's you know kind <clears> of <throat> made of stone, and it's like made made to look almost like a statue or a feature of the landscape. And what what's really cool about that is that if the uh, gardener goes to that space, all right, where that little statue is, the dude playing the flute, then what he's going to do, normally what the gardener does, is he causes all the bamboo on his tile and every tile surrounding him to grow, okay, as long as it's irrigated. Well, if it has this sacred grove on it, then every tile on the board that matches that tile's color, because there's green sacred groves and... Uh, the sort of pink sacred groves or peach, whatever color you want to call it. And there's the uh, yeah. yellow. And so what ends up happening is he will cause bamboo to grow everywhere on the board, regardless of whether or not he's near the gardener or not, right? Whether that tile, I should say, is near the gardener or not. And so that's extremely powerful in the game. And it's something that is uh, easy to forget, easy to overlook. I know the first game we played, we overlooked it. Mm -hmm. um, and we're like, oh, wait a minute. This funny-looking dude here that he makes everything something. grow, right? Wow. Um, it's not just there for uh, <clears throat> effect, right? So he's really, really nifty. And it's probably my favorite part of the expansion now that like I know how to do that and <laughs> I've, I've played it enough. Um, I really enjoy that because you can use that to your advantage, especially when you're looking at goal cards that have to do with uh, the specific heights of bamboo. 
trying to get the gardener, you know, he's only one person, and trying to get him to the locations that he needs to to give you the specific types of bamboo is not always easy. But if you go to these sacred groves, then you can make a tile all the way across the board pop with the exact color that you needed, the exact height that you needed. You can reveal that card and get yourself a lot of points. So he's really cool. And a lot of these tiles from the uh, Chibi's expansion also have this little icon of the panda lady on it. And every time one of those pops up, the panda lady automatically moves to that new tile. So that kind of resets her, right? So that you can't always depend on being able to bring her to join the panda in order to get a panda baby, right? Because I know the one game we played, Lloyd, that was kind of like your thing. Like you were just eating bamboo, but not for bamboo cards, scoring cards. You yeah. were eating bamboo just so that you could get that panda mom over to the panda dad and get another panda baby, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there are a couple times where I would roll the die and I was allowed to do the same action twice. Right. So that same action was to move the panda himself to eat a piece of bamboo right? and then move mama panda to go meet him right. with the same action right. and immediately get a baby. And I think I had right. like three or four babies by the end of the game. I know, right, and which was, is like eight points. Yeah, I mean, that's points. big. I mean, that, that helps you win the game. So the, what I'm going, where I'm going with this is that I really like the fact that when you flip up a new tile, it's almost like it's an added defense mechanism. So if I see you doing that, one of the things that I can do is I can add a new landscape tile, and if the new landscape tile happens to have that uh, uh, panda mom symbol on it, she's going to jump. She's going to jump to a whole other part of the board, which may now take her completely out of alignment with the male panda, which means I've stopped you from doing that. So I really kind of like that too. It, it adds a little element of blocking. And, um, you know, there's certainly luck in this game. There's oh, yeah. luck all over this game. There's luck in the card draw. There's luck in the tile draw. But um, the, the game is quick enough with the two actions a turn. It's a fast-paced game. It is lighthearted enough with the minis and the beautiful kind of board. And it's kind of exciting just to watch the thing grow. And then the take that, everybody's kind of interested in what everybody's doing on their turn. Because if you place that landscape tile that I really did not want there, I'm groaning. And I'm like, oh, God, now i got to come up with another plan. Or if the other player moves the panda or the gardener in a direction I don't want them to, I'm like, no, don't do that. right? So I'm totally involved in the game the whole time. And so Takenoko and the Takenoko Chibi's expansion is something that I've really enjoyed. Do you have any thoughts you want to share about it, Lloyd, that you know we haven't already talked about? Well, I, I mean, I definitely like the expansion. I won the other night when we played, which helped. But yeah. it was it was nice because it, it gives you something else to think about now with that bamboo. Because up to this point, if you're just playing the regular game... Bamboo's really only good if you're collecting those bamboo objective cards. Uh-huh. And, you know, so what? Maybe you're trying to use the panda strategically to eat bamboo that you think somebody else is trying to grow for some of their gardener objective cards. But if you're sitting there with a bunch of bamboo in your belly, uh, it's not going to do you any good unless you get those bamboo objective cards. Now, with the panda mama, she can give you not only two points for a single piece of bamboo, right, which is right. pretty big. Yeah, yeah. She's also going to give you a baby that's going to give you that bonus. Right, right. Now, there's only three babies in the game of each color. So once all three babies have been taken out onto play... Just how much do you want this one panda right. to do, Lloyd? Well... Why don't you try doing it once, I, okay? 
and then I, give her only nine. Uh, Come when on. I, when I learned Come to on. That's a terrible bamboo. thing to say. No, when I learned to eat bamboo, I'll I, take that up. I that's take fine. no responsibility for that comment. <laughs> I, I just think that's very, very wrong of you. But it's only that three of you. poor panda. <laughs> and the interesting thing is that you just randomly get one of... If, if I gave a green piece of bamboo, I just get one of the random green yes. babies. So yep. I don't know what the bonus is. No, there's no genetic engineering here. You no, don't get there to really pick. isn't. No, I, I would no. love to pick. You just want a panda. I really so that's do. That's really all you're hoping and for. And actually, my favorite panda baby was the panda baby that had a wheelbarrow full of dirt. So I'm like, wow, we're putting the panda babies to work. <laughs> I love it. And I think it was a baby girl, too. Oh. So. Making her wheel dirt around at such a young age. This yeah, is it was it was it's great. Really tragic. I thought panda babies were like like three inches long. They were like the smallest, most ridiculous weak <laughs> I have things. No idea. It was like, like you know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but it's funny considering the mini is probably only about three inches long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. But so you know, I really appreciated um, just like something else I could do with bamboo now. Yes. Yeah. I liked the bonus effects of these new landscape tiles. You had mentioned, you know, the ones that let you grow. This expansion also comes with another water tile. Yes. It's like the sacred grove. So now uh, we had the one game the other night where it seemed like the entire landscape was building in one direction. Yes, and it was all unirrigated. And, and it, it was, was intentional it was, by that kid that we were playing with. It was. He was just throwing it out there as far yep. away as he could from everybody, right? And when we finally got that second second giant water tile out, it's like, wow, we can plop that right here, and now everything around it just starts growing yeah, again. Yeah, everything's irrigated. And it was yeah, so yeah. nice. Uh, there is a tile... The one that I liked that we didn't even get to use because nobody oh, drew yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, We didn't get there to use a, that. There was a gardener's hut. Yes. And if the gardener stops on the gardener's hut, you get one of every objective card. Yes. And then you get to keep one of those three. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, that can be huge because usually you get one card and you're kind of stuck you with it. You get one and you like it. You get one and you like it. But that <laughs> changes that because now... You've got three choices in front of you, and you can look across the board and go, well, I can't do this one, and I can't do this one, but this one's pretty close. Or maybe you've got two that are already completed. Well, which one's going to give me more points now? Right, right. So that this does... And which one am I burying right, so that, so that nobody uh, else another gets player it. doesn't draw and get free points? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, even though the rules aren't really all that different, there's just an extra set of rules for the Mama Panda. Yep. But other than that, I mean, you've got a lot of extra things that you can think about. Yeah. A lot of nice little just take that spots. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A lot of nice little um, just additions that give you something else to think about and something else that can change your strategy in a minute. Right, right. I think I agree with you about that because basically what we have here is we have one of my favorite types of expansions. Uh, we have an expansion that adds new things to think about with very little rules overhead exactly right so there's not you know it's not a daunting expansion because this is at its heart a game that should be probably played with families right this is a fun game very mean families Uh, very mean families (laughs) the adams family (laughs) i don't know that's right you get lurching because that's the sound i make right (laughs) when somebody messes up my plan i'm like like, 
Anyway. Eddie's more like, Ugh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yours was more like the, the animal in the basement. Um, anyway. Peter O'Toole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fire. Bad. Anyway. Um, so I really like that. I like the fact that it's kind of a family game, but it's got uh, some interesting decisions in it. And now you're adding the expansion, which could put it over kind of a critical mass, right? And take it out of where it lives and try to move it somewhere else. I mean, I've reviewed games where the expansion takes kind of like a, a light game or a family game and moves it into a midweight or takes a midweight and tries to make it heavy. And it kind of fails, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And this is an expansion that's really kind of perfect because it doesn't take Takenoko away from where it lives, you know? It, it keeps it in that space, but gives you a few other things to think about that are really kind of powerful in game terms. But you don't have to sit there and keep looking at the rule book and referencing and wondering what this does or uh, what does this mean. And what if the lady panda is on the same tile as the gardener when there is a no panda eating token on it? See rule four subset. Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing like that. It's just like. And I really like that about this expansion because, as you said, it it, it tweaks the economy of the game Mm -hmm. where the bamboo now, there's a couple of different things you can do with it. And yet it doesn't seem to overpower anything other than, you know, ridiculously fast breeding. Uh, If one player can get a lot of panda babies, um, that that can be kind of overpowering. But the table knows that and the table should try and stop that, right? Um, so I really kind of think that this is like a perfect expansion because it gives me more of what I like without moving the game into a place it doesn't want to be, if that makes any sense. So oh, it totally does. Do you have any kind of uh, final thoughts about uh, Takenoko Chibis before we uh, move on? No, I mean, I would totally agree. This, this is the right type of expansion for a game that, you know, is relatively easy to teach. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have a really heavy rule set. And it doesn't, like you said, feel like it takes the game to another level. Right, right. It keeps the game intact, and it just gives you a little bit more bang for your buck. Right. And now you've got babies. Right. So the decision space is wider, not deeper. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's not trying to make the game into something that it isn't. Yeah. So that's one of the things I like about it. So uh, you know, once again, uh, we've got a couple thumbs up here yeah. uh, for Takinoko Chibis. This is uh, the new expansion for the base game of Takinoko, uh, just released this year, uh, adding in some fun and fresh new elements. This is uh, by Antoine Bauza, uh, released in 2015. By Asmodee Editions, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's also a co-designer on this one, which is uh, Corentin Labrat. So, uh, if you're really a fan of Takenoko, if you're looking for something that's going to add to your decision spaces, but not in an overpowering kind of a way, then you should definitely check out Takenoko Chibis. <laughs> So 
So the last game that Lloyd and I are going to talk about tonight is a title from Portal Games. Uh, this is Niroshima Hex, or Niroshima Hex. I'm not exactly sure how you're supposed to say that. Uh, I like Niroshima Hex. Uh, this is a game that came out a long time ago. This is in 2006, so the game is almost 10 years old now. Designed by Michael Oras. Uh, this is a game that is kind of, to my mind... This is a game that has a lot of similarities, and I think of it as a precursor to a Summoner Wars kind of a game. Uh, basically, yeah. what you have is, is uh, in Niroshima Hex, you have uh, in the box, uh, I uh, am talking about version 3.0, okay, so uh, the third edition. Uh, you have a game board, nice small little game board that is basically made up of hexes. And you have a set of tiles. And the set of tiles that you have represents your faction in this distant kind of uh, dystopian sort of a future after a uh, horrible series of wars, nuclear holocaust, and what is left over, uh, the wreckage that remains behind uh, the remaining humans and um, not-so-humans and, uh, uh, you know... Mechan you know, robots, they're not necessarily robots, but it's like a, mm. a you know, kind of a, a cyborg faction, and you oh, have all like of these, mecha yeah, yeah, like mecha mutants. Yeah. You know, you have all of these <clears throat> different kinds of factions that come in the box, and what you're attempting to do is you're going to kind of do battle on this central board, and you can play it with two players, you can play it with three players, you can play it with four players. And there's actually something in the third edition where you can actually play this solo, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's a set of cards that come uh, with the game that's going to kind of represent the AI, and you're going to kind of play against that. And it's really, really nifty. I haven't tried it yet, but I've kind of flipped through it, and it looks kind of cool. Uh, I'm still kind of a social gamer, so my primary interest is always in playing face-to-face. -face. Um, and I've played this a few times. Uh, it is also, I believe, available as, as an app. Uh, for people who have iOS devices. Uh, but most of my plays have been face-to-face, -face, uh, two-player games. But you and I, uh, we had our experience playing a three-player game with Carter. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of a, a three-player deathmatch, which was kind of cool. It was really and, cool. And uh, each of the factions is unique. Each of the factions has its own really well-developed, well-thought-out backstory, which I kind of find fascinating. You have like a, a card, a mat that you get that has all of your different tiles pictured on it, what their abilities are, what they can do. Some, for example, are very mobile. They can move across the board very quickly. Um, some are heavily armored and heavy hitters, but they're slow, right? Um, others are, are just wonderful kind of different varieties and tweaks on the system. Um, some that uh, have lots of firepower but are very weak, okay? Like very easy to destroy or kill, right? And so you have different kinds of factions in that base box, and you're going to set up your player mat in front of you. You're going to get to read this cool story, uh, and, and it's going to kind of tell you a little bit of the background of who your people are and what their deal is and yeah. why they're there. And meanwhile, the other player's doing the same thing. And then you're going to place your headquarters, which is a tile that you're going to put on the map. And the headquarters is basically your flag. Okay, for, for lack of a better term. Kind of like capture the flag, right? Mm -hmm. And the other player is going to be trying to uh, locate your headquarters, surround your headquarters, and damage your headquarters until it's destroyed. If they can do that, you're out of the game. Uh, and it can be set up like a king of the mountain kind of thing. Last person standing wins. I mean, that's the way it was when the three of us played with Carter. 
And so the, the other interesting thing, though, is that the, uh, the headquarters can move. There are times when you might actually be able to move your headquarters tile, which is cool. So it's not just a static location on the board. And your tiles are all very distinct. They all do different things. And so what you're going to do is on your turn, you're going to get to place out tiles onto the board and then you're going to interact with the other tiles on the board once everybody has kind of done their thing if you trigger a conflict okay um which basically is triggered when there's uh, not enough spaces uh on the board that are left what's going to happen is there's going to be a fight right so if there's no room to maneuver if there's no room to run around no room to hide there's going to be a fight there are also tiles that the players have that will prematurely start a fight where you can kind of elect you can say oh look you know my position on the board right now is really really good and i can do some serious damage but there's still room like ah we're not going to have a war we're not going to have a fight but i've got the tiles so i can do it anyway right and so those are really cool and and they're limited like the tile distribution is different for each faction, which is really neat. And so you're going to place your tiles until there's either a war declared by tile uh, or there's going to be a war that happens because you basically have run out of room and we're going to have to fight it out now. At that point, there is this really cool kind of initiative system. The tiles are all numbered. And you're going to have some tiles that are going to fire, and they're going to get to do their thing first. And then a second wave will come, and a third wave will come, and someone, you got a fourth wave that will come. And then finally, the headquarters kind of get to fire. If there's any tiles surrounding the headquarters, that kind of gets to fight back or fire back, right? So this is really kind of cool. And a lot of the strategy in the game comes from those decisions because i can have this really wonderful piece this super heavy hitter who is going to do a ton of damage but if you can get some units that are faster and that are you know faster to the punch they might actually be able to eliminate or push back or move my unit uh one of the factions that uh, i was playing you have that ability to kind of push back right and so it was really kind of neat and what ends up happening is you can have yourself all set up beautifully, but if you don't pay attention to those initiative orders, your tile might actually be destroyed. Your guy might die before you even have the chance to use him. And so it really adds a, a, a interesting strategic kind of element to it because it's not just about putting you know your pieces down my guy punches your guy it's you have to carefully place them you have to have them arranged some of them have ranged combat yeah right where they can fire clear across the board okay and one of the cool things about ranged fire is that there's no friendly fire so, so it always passes it over always passes right you know it's tiles. like everybody knows when they need to duck right so when you know you're getting ready to fire it's like you know everybody needs to duck and when you do that then it's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, everybody kind of got out of the way and that bazooka went right past them, you know? Yeah. And then hit that guy or hit the headquarters or whatever. So that's really kind of cool because there's a lot of games where, you know, line of sight can be blocked by your own player and that can be frustrating, right? But because this is kind of a little more abstract of a game, um, it really kind of works. It flows very quickly. It's It really gives you that sort of chess-like kind of feel with movement and yet, it's not super duper complicated. No, it's but not. But there's tons of things to think about. There's lots of hard decisions that you're going to have to make. And so, for me, Neroshima Hex is a fascinating game because it kind of takes that whole 
idea of asymmetrical kind of sides and forces and puts it into this really kind of interesting theme but with simple abstracted play with an awesome player aid. I mean, the player aid in front of you answers all your questions. Yeah. So I really kind of enjoyed this and found it interesting and, you know, was kind of happy to see that there's tons of other factions. Like there's faction packs that have been released. So, you know, once you kind of get to know these four factions that come in the base game, there's lots more to explore because you can just pick up another faction. And so I kind of, as I was playing this, Lloyd, I was wondering like, man, this feels a lot like Summoner Wars, you know? Because mm-hmm. I started with Summoner Wars. Like, I, I had never played Naroshima Hex. And, I, you know, it's kind of a shame because it was very highly regarded. But um, unless I am mistaken, I'm going to do a little com- uh, computer magic uh, right now as we're recording, and I'm going to check on Summoner Wars. But Summoner Wars, I believe, well, yeah, that was 2009, was the first Summoner Wars. And so this game predates that by three years, yeah. right? And so I'm playing Naroshima Hex, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this reminds me of Summoner Wars, when I probably should have been playing Summoner Wars and saying, man, this reminds That's me of Naroshima Hex, Hex, right? Yeah. So uh, I really kind of found the game a lot of fun and fascinating, and I've only played it a few times, I'll be honest. This is a quick look. This isn't a long view. Um, so I don't have all the nuances down, I'm sure. But boy, I think that there's a lot of replayability and potential here for a lot of exploration in this game. So that's kind of my thoughts about it. What are your thoughts, Lloyd? I really enjoyed it when I played it. And, you know, I don't want to compare it too much to chess because there's so many extra levels of what's going on. But unlike chess or even checkers where all your pieces are already out on the board uh-huh. and you know they even start in a predetermined spot for you when you're playing Naroshima Hex and you want to add a new piece to the board you can put it wherever you want mm-hmm. and the most interesting thing to me was that you can put it facing whatever direction you want yes facing is important <coughs> yep and so sometimes that was really important because if I have a character that does melee damage and the melee damage is on two sides because, you know, maybe he's like this weird berserker and he's dual wielding something and he's hitting (laughs) two sides of him. Right. Well, if I don't get him in the right spot and orient him the right way, he's not going to be very effective. He might only be hitting one tile instead of maybe being able to go after two tiles right right um you know the range that you talk about i played as the uh, the green faction which i think were the soldiers or the rangers or you know the, the whatever they were called and, and a lot of them had that really cool ranged ability so i spent a lot of that game when i played with them kind of keeping them back along the edge on my side of the board right and just kind of lining them up and making sure that they were facing either a corridor so that nobody would try and approach my base from that direction. Right. Or, like, where's the strongest one of Carter's on the other side? Well, I want to <laughs> aim right at that. Exactly. Because... You got to take care of the boy. You got to take care of the boy. And, you know, <laughs> when he played, he just surrounded his base with these giant tanks, basically. Yeah, these And was max, like, yeah. you know, come get me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. That, and I think he ended up winning that game. Right, right. Yeah, I, he did. He did, the little bugger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he just had that fantastic kind of, uh, 
strategy and that defense, and and we came very close to breaking through it. Yeah, we were close because we we got to a point where we were just kind of like, okay, you know, I think we're we're gonna have to go after him, and and that was one of the interesting uh, parts of the game is there's definitely like that uh, bash the leader thing, yep. you know, you you kind of have to do that. But, um, you know, the game is so fluid and so fast and it's over so quickly that, you know, it's not like you've invested uh, hours and hours of your life and then you kind of feel like, oh, well, you just king made somebody. No, it doesn't matter. We're all trying to beat each other down. And an ally this turn is not going to be your ally next turn. And I think I stabbed you in the back pretty well there towards the end of that game. (laughs) Yeah, there was a couple times. Uh, The other thing that I really appreciate about this game, and you had mentioned the player aid. Um, and the fact that it includes and shows you all the abilities of your tiles and yep, what your soldiers yep. do, but it's also a tile manifest and tells mm. you how many yes. of everything you have. So there was a point in that game where I was playing as the green faction, and I knew that the tile I had in my hand was my last movement tile. Right. Because I had already either played or discarded, because that's the interesting thing, you always have to discard a tile, Mm -hmm. which means you don't even get to play it. But I knew all my other movement tiles were gone. Right. And I knew that this was my last opportunity in the entire game to move. And that was when you stabbed me in the back. Because you're like, well, if you go over here (laughs) and aim at Carter, well, then we can both take him out. We can take him out. That's right. And then, you know, I did that. Oh, my guy had a higher initiative than yours. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I know. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. I love, like you just said, I love the whole initiative thing. Yeah. Because in cool. chess, it's just very calculating. I know that this player does this, or this piece does this, and this piece does this. Uh-huh. I know exactly what's going to happen. And you get to do one thing. Right? And you get to yeah. do one thing. But here, you know, when you go into battle, you're not just thinking about position. You're not just thinking about facing. You're not just thinking about two range other and, yep. opponents in range. Mm-hmm. You have to consider... Who is going to get to attack first? Right. And, you know, who is going to possibly be left to still attack after that first wave right. actually hits? Yeah. And yep. it's just, it was so fascinating. And there were a lot of bad moves that I made in that game. But, you know, that was all right. It was the first time I had played it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just, it's very fascinating to me. The different factions, the asymmetrical abilities... And the way, you know, I could probably play that green group again and not even play them the same way because now I have a better understanding of how they work. How to play them, yeah, yeah. But if I were to play, you know, like the red ones that Carter had or the yellow ones that you had, you know, I'm going to have a totally different strategy. Yeah, yeah. Keep it nice and fresh. And that is something that I think is really important. It's because the game gives you that replay value. And I also want to give a nod to you for mentioning the hand management, right? Uh, because that was something I didn't mention in my introduction, which is, you know, you have that, uh, you're supposed to have, I believe, a hand of three tiles, right? Um, and so you're going to draw two tiles at the start of your turn, I think it is, and you're going to uh, have to discard one, and then you get to keep the other, right? And then you get to place the tile, right? But the thing is, is that um, that tile that you have to discard, I don't know how many times I'm looking at both of those tiles and I'm like, but I want both of them. Right, exactly. I Or, or, or I worse, I need both of them. Yeah. Like, I need this one for this movement and I need this one because if I can start this war right now, you know, fight me! If, fight I, can, me. <laughs> if I can start this right <clears throat> now... I'm actually going to do some pretty serious damage, and I'm going to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. So um, 
I love that that decision making. You know, there's 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 a that little hand of tiles that you have to manage. But really, to me, the management of the game is not what's in your hand. It's in those tile choices, right? When you discard them, and you have to think, okay. I'm actually, with every turn, I am limiting my options. I'm kind of going into a funnel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so based on what I play, based on what I keep and save for a rainy day, based on my needs at one point in the game that required me to discard that tile that was worth nothing to me at the time, but three turns later, I'm like, oh my god, I need that tile. Right. You know, there's a lot of freshness there, right? Because... You make the best decision that you can at the time, mm-hmm. but and, and you can try to kind of plan for the future based on your faction's ability, based on what you think your opponents are going to do. But most of the game is that tactics, that tactical moment when you have to decide, what am I going to ditch and what am I going to keep? And that's a real uh, tension that I really appreciate. You know, that would be like, you know, you keep bringing up chess. That would be like every time you move a piece in chess, you have to discard one. Yeah. So it's like, like, you know, well, what do I right. discard? I, you know, I, 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 I got it. I got to get rid of it. You know, so everybody's like, oh, just discard your pawns, you know, but your pawns are your blockers and your pawns are really important for position on in chess and, and, and maintaining a space and blocking approaches. And, you know, it's like, there's no easy decisions, you know? Right. So I kind of imagine this in, in that way. It's like if you, ha- if you played chess, but every time you moved a piece, you had to chuck one out. Right. Well, it would sure speed up the game. It right? sure would. And, uh, and it would make the, that decision kind of agonizing, right? Because it's not always obvious, right? So this is a game that I found to be very engaging. A little on the abstract side for me. I kind of, it, it's weird because it's extremely thematic, but very abstract, which should be two mutually exclusive terms, right? The the <laughs> yeah. you know the board art is kind of cool, but then it's hexes in the middle, you know. Um, the tiles have wonderful illustrations that are kind of thematic, you know, but they're tiles with little symbols on them that show you facing, and they're very um, they're very static, you know. These aren't minis, right? And right. and a lot of times, you know, when you place them, they're going to be there. Yep. They're, they're not going to move. You know what I mean? They're going to be there for a while. Um, and so on some levels, it feels very abstracted. But on other levels, it feels very thematic in the abilities and the different uh, factions and the story that you're presented with, which is that extra layer of effort that I really appreciate. And so this lives in this really unique space between a thematic game and an abstract game that very few games I've, I can think of actually pull off. I mean, how do you manage that? Well, uh, I think that uh, the designer has, has managed to do that in this game. And I think that's one of the reasons why it has such an enduring appeal. Uh, where would you come down on the sort of theme of this game? Did you feel the theme or did you feel it was more abstract? What do you think? Uh, I definitely want to say that I felt the theme because I was trying my best to play the faction I had as I think it was intended. And I was watching as Carter, you know, was sitting there with these massive mechs or whatever it was he had. And he would just plop them down and they didn't have to move. Yeah. Because, you know, they might have two or three shields right. on yep. them. They could absorb and hits. And they could just and, absorb uh, hits. Yeah, and it's terrible. like, oh my goodness, I don't want to get near them because if I do, I'm just going to die anyway. So I'm going to stand back here and try and get line of sight and shoot and at them. Blink away, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like the, the the whole idea of you and I trying to form an alliance, yeah, you went stabby in the back. And <laughs> it just, it, 
it's, it's a dystopian future, my friend. It is dystopian. Yeah, I'm gonna dystopian all over your base Cats when I'm and done. Dogs. Ew. Ew. I just came out really wrong. It's, it's kind of dead. Know what that means? I don't know either. Dystopian all over your base. Try to take your base out. Here's some dystopian for you. Boom. <laughs> I have no idea where I, I was going with that. I do not think that word means what you think it means. I do not uh, think that means what you think it means. But, inconceivable. All right. You know, it, it it is at its heart. It's a war game, which right, is really right. kind of interesting because I think it it does some really interesting things that other war games haven't done. Like, just the fact that you get to put those pieces out anywhere you want. Yeah, yeah. That, Usually, that is yeah. If, if you're playing a war game... Um, you know, you might have to spawn, for lack of a better term, on your side of the board. Right, right. Or you or, might or have be to in spawn supply. Or, in or, supply. Right, right, right. Or you yeah. might have to start next to your base. Right. Now, if I want to be kamikaze, I can plop a dude down right next to Carter's base. Right, now, he's right. not going to last long enough right. to probably do any damage, but I, I could clearly do that if I wanted to. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, it's got some cool little support tiles that, yep. you know, give a boost to the tiles around them if they're your tiles, which right, is cool. Right. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I really love Those tiles, I forgot about those. Oh, those, those are were, awesome, yeah. Those were so much fun. Those are the ones that kind of have the little pipes on them, and, yep. and every pipe that is connected to a tile, it's going to give it a bonus, right? As long as it's your tile. As long as it's your tile. Yeah. And that is fantastic, yeah. Those tiles are, are just game changers sometimes. Yeah, because, they were. Uh, especially, especially, my favorite one was the one that uh, changes your initiative number. Yes. So normally I'm going last, but now I'm not. Surprise. No, and so now this guy gets to do this thing before, uh, you know, everybody expected him to. And that's a game changer, you know. And so I love those tiles. Um, you know, so thanks or for reminding medic. me of those. Yeah, yeah. That let you, you know, mm-hmm. sacrifice mm-hmm. the medic and you get to save that tile that almost yep. got blown up. The kamikaze dude you kamikaze were talking about, Kamikaze dude right? I was talking yeah, about. He just, just needs a medic there. behind exactly, him. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to heal him. He just so, uh, I mean, rolls yes, himself in there. Definitely like Niroshima Hex, and I'm looking forward to maybe even just trying some of the other factions. Oh, absolutely. See how yeah. the game plays, you know, with all these different strategies yep. and all these different play styles. I would agree. I would agree. And I think that there's enough in this base game box, this this uh, third edition. I, I don't know about the other editions, but with the four that are in there, I think there's enough, plus that solo play option, uh, which I haven't explored yet, but it is in there. Um, there's enough in this box to really explore for quite some time. And then if you ever start to feel like you're looking for more, there's just there's tons of expansions that are out there. And so I think this is a, a game system. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not just a game, it's a system. I think that's one of the things that has contributed to its incredible longevity. So um, once again, uh, it's very positive this week. Um, we're frequently positive, but this is this is a little more positive than usual. I, I think we have another winner here. This is one that's going to stay in my collection for a while because there's a lot for me to explore there, you know? So uh, I really enjoy this, and that's uh, our review of Niroshima Hex. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Quick Looks. This has been Quick Looks number 9, recorded on November 3rd, 2015. Uh, I want to thank, of course, my sponsor, GameSurplus.com. If you are interested in any of the games we've been talking about tonight, whether it's Mafia de Cuba, which I know Velma has in stock as of this moment, whether it's Takenoko, Chibis, which she also has in stock, whether it's Niroshima Hex, all of these games, go to GameSurplus.com, place your order, and if you do, please be sure to tell them 
problem that the long view sent you. I also, of course, want to give a shout out to the Dice Tower Network. Thanks to them for allowing us to be part of the network family. Uh, the Dice Tower is a huge resource for board gamers, and there are tons of fantastic podcasts out there. So go and check out all that the dicetower.com has to offer. So for Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening, and have a great night. Say good night, Lloyd. Good night, everybody. Oh, really? You had to end it that way? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's the show after Halloween. What can I say? There you go. No, no, no. You should have done like Peter Laurie. We totally missed it. Oh, no. I could have said, everybody, (laughs) you need to have a very good night and give me your wishbone. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. (laughs) 